All right, if you got a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be continuing our Bible study through this little uh, letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And um, we worked our way up through chapter 5. We'll do a little bit of repeating tonight just to get back to where uh, I could uh, finish off some of the things that we were talking about last Wednesday night. Um, As you know, like I said, this little letter was written by Paul. Um, back to the church at Thessalonica, and uh, mostly because Paul and the church kind of got sideways with one another because the church thought Paul had abandoned them, and Paul did not want to come back um, to him uh, to see them, but that wasn't the case at all. Paul couldn't go back and see him because he was in prison. That's a pretty good excuse, isn't it? If you're in prison for, uh, and, and he wasn't in prison for doing the bad things, he was in prison for doing good things, for sharing the gospel. And literally, um, he could not make it back during that time because he was persecuted and he was imprisoned and he had a lot of other issues um, that blocked him or kept him from going. So chapter one, he opens up by saying, hey, I'm Paul, I love you. I love you guys, you guys love me. And he's like, it's been this misunderstanding that I don't want to come back because maybe you feel like I've moved on or I've abandoned you, but that's not the case at all. I love you as a brother. I love you as a pastor. I love you in Christ and uh, really um, let them know that he cared for them. And such a great way for us to really think about our relationships to make sure that the people around us know that we love them and that we care for them and that sometimes we may not, we may do things Uh, on purpose. Some things may just be not on purpose. Maybe it's just a misunderstanding. And sometimes people get crossed up with one another. You might not speak to your brother or your father or your mother or a friend at church or something like that for a long time over some silly misunderstanding. And when you get down right to the heart of the issue, most of the time it's really about nothing. really is about nothing. And uh, so uh, Paul was just saying, listen, I love, I care. I don't care, you know, what you feel, what you then let me tell you how I feel. I, I care for you. I love you. I want you to know about these things. And then uh, he begins to address their faith. He talks about how Timothy was proud of them because he had sent Timothy to go check on them and uh, to see how they were doing. He said, we know you're living this brotherly uh, life, this orderly life, and you have continued in the faith, which is great. We know you have a lot of questions and some problems and issues, um, basically, with the coming of Jesus Christ. Because a lot of them thought that the coming of Christ was going to happen in their lifetime. Uh, And then some of these believers were passing away, and some of the false teachers were saying, See, Paul told you a lie. Christ is not coming. Christ doesn't care about you. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. And they missed it. They miss Christ. They're going to miss Christ coming. They're going to miss the, the, the coming of the Lord and all this stuff. And so they, they were really going after this false teaching and really causing a lot of turmoil and strife um, in the life of these believers. And uh, literally, these believers were being, uh, you know, shrinking back from their faith. They didn't have joy. They didn't have peace. They didn't have this fulfillment of serving the Lord. And so Paul begins to instruct them about the day of the Lord and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we worked our way through that. Um, last week I said it's like going into the store Bucky's, remember? And you go into Bucky's, you don't know if you should go for the apparel or the brisket sandwich or the, you know, the beaver nuggets. You got on my desk, I, I got some beaver nuggets in there. Somebody, somebody actually brought me those. I didn't have to go get those. But, uh, you know, they got all sorts of different stuff there. 
and you don't know what, what to go for and how much to explain and how much to, to really dig into. Well, that's the way it is with the coming of Christ. There's so much there. There's so much to dig into. There's so much to understand about it that we could preach a year or talk about it for a year and really no one knows all the answers. And if you get up and someone says, here's when the Lord's coming back, it's going to happen on this day and it's going to happen this way. They don't know what they're talking about, all right? Because Scripture, there is a mystery of God's second coming, just like there was a mystery of His first coming. There is a level that we can have of understanding. There's a level of agreement we can have as fellow believers. Um, we talked a little bit about that, those theological words, um, of the study of eschatology or the last things, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, all-millennial. And uh, growing up, the pre-trib, um, pre-millennial um, picture was really the, the most popular one, um, and, but that brought some serious um, you know, deviations from what Scripture actually teaches um, with the way people think or the way that they believe or the way that makes them feel. And we talked about it a little bit. We talked about understanding the fullness of Scripture, um, but we did come to the conclusion of several things. One is that the coming of the Lord is going to happen. Jesus Christ is coming back a second time. Now, whether just like he came the first time, he's coming back a second time. And we may, uh, we may differ on when you think it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe God's word, you believe in studying God's word, when you read the Bible, you realize he's coming back a second time. He came the first time as a lamb. He's coming the second time like a lion, right? That he is going to establish his kingdom. He is going to set this world straight. He's going to set um, the things of God in place. And it's going to be a great day of redemption. And he is coming back. He will come back. That's something we can all agree on. It is the second coming of the Lord. The second thing we all can agree on is that we better be ready. Right, that we don't want the second of the coming, second coming of the Lord coming us not be ready. Like we don't want to be, uh, we do not want to be ill prepared or unprepared when the second coming of Christ comes. We want to be prepared. We want to be looking for Christ. We want to be waiting for Him. We want to be prepared for Him and His second coming. Third thing is, it can happen at any moment. The second coming of Christ we read last week is like a thief in the night. Don't you hate a thief, right? A thief never comes and announces himself. Like, hey, I'm coming to break in your home at 5 o'clock on Saturday. <laughs> Why would he not tell you that? Because he knows you, you, you know he, you will be there and you will be prepared and ready. He, he, he says when a th the coming of the Lord is like a thief in the night. He's going to come unexpectedly. He's going to come quickly. He's going to come in a moment in time that he's ready and when it's prepared for him to be ready. It can happen at any moment. And it happened at any time. And um, fourthly, we um, talked about that God will not pour his wrath out upon his children. We left off of this last week. Um, wherever and however this happens, uh, tribulations and trials, yes. We're going to have tribulations. We're going to have trials. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today and finish up talking about that. But the wrath of God, no. God will not pour his wrath out on his own children. And we'll talk about how that fits into the process. But if you got a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, he was just wrapping up, talking a little bit about that. And we're going to start with verse 8. Um, this is a little bit of overlap from last week, but 8 through 11. I don't want to go back and really nail down um, this part of it. It says, 
But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So here in these little three little verses here, um, these believers obviously had questions. They had questions about the coming of the Lord. They had questions they needed to settle in their minds. They were uneasy and fearful. And we know that it's exactly the opposite of the reaction we should have to the second coming of the Lord. It should be something that doesn't make us fearful, but make us faithful. Something that shouldn't make us, uh, you know, uh, not have peace, but to make us have peace. Something that should bring us joy and not being upset. It's something we look forward to that we can use for comfort. We could build one another up with. But yet this process, they had become so focused on it that they had begun to crumble under the pressure. And so Paul comes down. He says, I want you to hear these things. I want you to know these things so that you're prepared and you're ready. And when these things happen, you can walk in the midst of these difficult days without falling apart, without falling short, without not finishing, the, the, not finishing over the finish line. He's like, I, I'm writing these things to encourage you, to push you through, to keep you going, to walk in those days, in those days before Christ returns. And so Paul gives us a little bit of a, a armor of the believer. This is the second type of passages we have where it talks about the spiritual armor of a believer. Um, the other one we have studied before too, but this one talks about the armor, armor of the believer as well. And uh, I find it interesting that when you read the Bible, most people think that Christian life is a playground, but we find out it's what? A battlefield, right? That we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a fight against the kingdom of the world and Satan and all the enemies of God. And so Paul comes and he's using this terminology as the armor of the believer, that the enemy would be relentless on his attacks and the Christian uh, to endure must use his armor. So first part he says as far as being ready is to be sober. The soberness we talked about was the Greek word that Paul uh, means of rigid discipline or living a pure life of righteousness. You think about it. As a soldier goes into battle, he takes all his training. He could have all the training he could have. He could be prepared. But if he's not disciplined in warfare, what will happen to him? Like, he won't use his training, he won't use his background, he won't use the tools that he's been given to him, he, he, will, he will suffer uh, the consequences of not being sober or not being disciplined in what he has been taught. So Paul is saying, here you are, you need to be disciplined in a pure life and in righteousness. Don't deviate from the plan. Don't leave what's going on in the midst of a battleground. And for us as Christians, this is important for us to remember because as much as we love the light, as much as we love the good days, there's going to be some darkness. There's going to be some dark days. One pastor shared something with me that I'll never forget. He says, never forget in the dark what you learned in the light. And when we understand Scripture and we know who God is and we know how His character is, when we get in those dark places, we begin to doubt those things. And the devil begins to work on you, and instead of being faithful or full of faith, we'll get full of fear. 
and we'll start not thinking straight and we'll begin to do things we've never done before and we begin to waver in our faith and we begin to go back and forth, back and forth and if we're not careful and being disciplined in what we've learned when we've walked with God in the light, then when it comes time for darkness, then we won't be prepared. I love what another pastor also said. He said, God whispers to us in our success, but he shouts to us in our pain. And it's true. God can do things through times of heartache and pain and trials that he can't do in prosperity and in great times and good times. And so for us as Christians, we got to learn how to stay disciplined, whether we're in the light, whether we're in the dark, whether you're on top of the hill or whether you're in the valley. We got to be disciplined to know that we keep our eye on God and we keep an eye on our enemy and we stand firm in the Lord, that we don't get put off track. Let me tell you, in the world that we live in, there's a lot of ways we could get off track, right? And uh, a lot of them are good things we can get off track with, right? I mean, we, we could go pursuing a lot of rabbit trails and a lot of different things. And, and if we're not careful, we could get off doing these other things and not keeping the main thing the main thing. And, and Paul was coming back to me saying, listen, be sober, be, be of good discipline, learn to live this life. It's not time for you to slack. It's not time for you to fall into the things of the world. Be sober. Be ready. Be, be one who's on guard. And for us as Christians, that's a great, great challenge for us. Are we on guard? And other parts of the scripture, it says, are being watchful. Uh, one preacher said you should have one eye on the world and one eye on the sky, right? Ready for the coming of Christ. That we should not be uh, so earthly minded that we forget about God's kingdom and Christ's coming. Um, I know in the old days there used to be a saying, you're so heavily minded, you're no earthly good. But I think the opposite is true in our day for most people. We're too earthly minded to be any heavenly good sometimes, right? That we get off focus, we get off track, we're not disciplined. But he says to be sober, be disciplined, be rigid, to make sure you're ready and watchful. And for us to, to really think of this uh, and to see where we need to be watchful. Listen, for us as in our, in our marriages, we need to be watchful. For us raising kids, good Lord, we definitely need to be watchful. Some of the older grandparents, that's for Miss Ann, by the way. No, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> for the grandparents, don't think your job is not done. You guys feel sorry for her? You should hear some of the stuff. That she says to me. <laughs> she had me down there this week looking for just for men. Can you believe that? I was thinking, man, I got to start darkening my hair and changing my must and my goatee. <laughs> anyhow, but she got me off track. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, for our kids and for our grandkids to be watchful for them and you know, even for our kids, um, the battle for their cell phone, the battle for technology, the battle for who you allow them to hang out with, who you allow them to spend the night with. Sometimes it takes just one time, one person, one parent, one family. And so, yes, 
You may be called weird in the world's eyes. Or you may be called overprotective. But I would rather have that than to be called someone who's allowed our, your children to, to walk in the world without even you engaging in them. So we need to be sober. We need to be ready. We need to be disciplined even in our marriages, even in our, in our kids, even in our church. And we must keep our eye on the Lord and be sober-minded to be disciplined, to live a life that's true and pure of the Lord and not chase rabbits and not get off track. So he says to be sober. Then he says in verse 8, he talks about a breastplate of faith and of love. Think about that. A breastplate for a soldier was a vital piece of his armor because it protected the heart and vital organs. Uh, if, if this is left vulnerable, uh, if you took a blow to this uh, breastplate without a protection, you, you would not survive the battle. It would take you out of the fight. And for us, as we do not wear physical armor, Paul talks about our spiritual armor. He says, wear the breastplate of faith and love. And if you think about that in our lives, uh, first we think about love, how important love is in our life. That we need to be men and women of love and not of hate and not of anger and not of bitterness. And it's so easy for us to get callous and it's so easy for us to push away the world. It's so easy for us to get in our homes and lock the doors and not really engage the culture. And not really engage people sometimes because maybe our love is not where it should be. But as Paul says here, make sure you guard it. Make sure you have this breastplate of love that it should compel you with your love and your love as well works with the faith that you have. Really, faith really is just focus on God. That as you're focusing on the Lord and you're loving God and you're loving people, then as we see that, that's what keeps us on track. And I said this a couple uh, Sunday or maybe this past Sunday. Um, if you have a problem with people, you have a problem with God. Like, you got to love God to love people. If you're not loving people, you're having a problem with loving God. And Paul is saying the same thing here. You, you can't hate people. You can't get bitter towards people. You can't take and uh, hold grudges against people. You can't do those things because it literally will take you out of the game. Like, it will take you out of the fight. It will cause you to do things that you would never do before. Um, between hate and anger and bitterness. Paul's saying, you must keep this faith. You must keep this love. You got to keep it protected on your heart. For us, it's very important for us to remember that. Especially with our families. Especially with church family. Especially with the people that we engage with every single day. And I know it's tough because people are tough, right? There are some people that's just very difficult to get along with, right? Uh, Pastor Jamie Regal said one time, he said, there are people that you could slap and God would say amen, right? Uh, <laughs> and you just, you know there's a, a difficulty of people, and if you don't have love, and if you're not driven by faith and trust in God, regardless of what's happening, then you will get knocked off course, and Paul was saying for them to put on this armor, to put on this breastplate of love, this breastplate of, 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 um, of faith as well. Then he moves on in verse 8. He also says, for the helmet of the hope in salvation. Your, your mind, right? Those things that we think about. Uh, the important piece of the armor that protects everything else that controls the body. We know without the head... The body dies quickly. 
And, and for us as a Christian, that's why it's important to know what we believe. That's why on Sunday mornings, I, I'm, I'm going through the book of, I mean, the little letter of 1 John. Because he's written those things that we might believe, that we might have assurance of those things. Because when we go through tough times, we go through dark times, we go through times that we don't understand, that's the first thing that, gets, that, that begins to shake in your life is your faith and your trust in God and your trust in salvation, who you really are in Christ. And, and what it does is it brings doubt in your mind, it brings fear in your mind, and then sin takes hold, and next thing you know, you're, you lose focus. You don't think clearly. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved for you in heaven. So no matter what we go through on this earth, we must always keep the hope of salvation in our heart. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know what people without Christ do some days. When they wake up and their world falls apart and there's no Christ there. There's no Jesus there to pick them up. And for us as a Christian, we got to make sure we keep the helmet of the hope of salvation tight in our life. Make sure we keep it on point in our life. Make sure we keep it together. So as he's moving through these things, he's, he's saying, make sure you're armored up. Make sure you have the faith. Make sure you have the, the, the love. Make sure you have this hope and salvation. And then he begins to admonish the believer what to do with it. Look at, at verse 9. Uh, when he comes to verse 9, he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, here's, here's your promise. For God did not appoint us to wrath. And this is what was really the problems here with the believers at Thessalonica. They were confused. And they thought God was punishing them. And is that not... One of the first temptations that the devil throws in your mind is that God is punishing you. God is doing something to you. God is doing this because he doesn't love you. God is doing it because he didn't. No. Paul makes it clear. For God has not appointed us to wrath. He tells us straight up. He tells us right out. He says, listen, don't be fearful. Don't be shaken. Don't be taken. Because these believers and those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are not appointed to wrath. That you do not have to fear. You think about it, as we talked about it before, there's a lot of debate about tribulation, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever trib you are. In that tribulation period, one thing's for sure, you won't face the wrath of God. That, that is something that he says is not reserved for those. And this is not just a quick passing judgment, but the settled judgment of God will not come upon his people. And he's telling them that you may think you've entered this process, but I did not appoint you for wrath, but I appointed you to salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I loved about Paul. Paul always pointed to Jesus Christ. It always goes back to the hope that we have in him. And we don't have to face the wrath of God because Christ has already faced that wrath. And when we come to Jesus Christ, he is our, he is our sacrifice. He is the one who paid the price. He took our sin. He took our punishment. He took our sacrifice to atone for our sins. And for you and for me, it's important for us to realize that because that should admonish us to live not in fear, but in faith and trust in a God who loved us so much that he gave his son to die on a cross for our sins. Think about that. That why would a God who loves you so much to give his only begotten son turn around and then pour his wrath out upon you? doesn't make any sense. 
Paul is saying that's, that's something that you've fallen into fear with, something you have fallen into, but yet you will not be appointed wrath, but you have salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, verse 10, he says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So now Paul comes and he says, listen, he died for us, but whether we wake or sleep, right? Whether you're alive or whether you're dead, whether you're awake or whether you're asleep, however you want to put that, he says we should live together with him. Meaning in Christ, we have this one who we can trust in and he has paid the price for us and we can, we can take it to the bank that we can live together with him. And so for us as Christians, it's always important for us to realize, not even in the good times, but also in the bad times, who are we really trusting in? Who is your salvation really in? Who is your trust in righteousness? Who is your trust of the coming of the Lord and put in? If it's put in works, then we know that we're never going to work enough to be able to obtain the, the, the mercy of God. If there was another way of obtaining God's salvation, don't you think he would have given it to us other than his son? But of course, as he says, it is through Christ and him alone. And we can have that. When we have that, we can have this blessed assurance to know that whatever we face in the body, that knowing that this day will bring forth, we are secure in him no matter what happens, that we are with Jesus Christ. Whether we're alive or whether we die, we're with him either way. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, to another passage of Scripture Paul shares with us? It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about that. I mean, what a powerful truth. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, far be it for me, better for me to go be with Christ, but yet I'll stay here as I stay here to serve you and serve him. But yet for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a great challenge for us to look to our life and see what we might fill that blank in with. For me to live is, what is it? Paul says he's come to the conclusion in his life and for every life of the believer that's going to have faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ is to live is Christ. It is for you to put your faith and trust in him and for you to have eternal life with him and for you to know whether you're alive or whether you die, you are with Jesus Christ, you have that blessed assurance he's talking about. And so as we think about it, as he comes to the last verse we're going to cover tonight, before we get to talking about this, he says, therefore, comfort each other. Comfort each other. Listen, these are not words just for us to think about or to read at a funeral or every once in a while think about it. He's saying these are words that should be a part of our everyday life. That as we go through trials, as we go through tribulations, as we go through hard times, that with these words, we can comfort one another. That they can bring a sense of comfort to us. They can bring a sense of knowledge to us that no matter what happens or where we go or what, what we do, that we have Christ with us and that he is our salvation. He is our hope. And whether we see the best of days or whether we see the worst of days, that we can have the comfort to know that God is with us. I think more than anything else throughout Scripture, um, the one, of the, one of the greatest promises we have is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And I think a lot of times we may feel like we've been left. We may feel like we've been forsaken. Even Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But we know, and we know through Scripture, and we know through reading other Scripture, 
that at that point in time, we know the Lord hadn't forsaken him. And we know through our experiences in life that the Lord doesn't forsake us either. And you can read through story after story with Moses and Joshua and Joseph. Man, you remember the story of Joseph? It's one of my favorite stories in Old Testament. I have a lot of favorite stories, don't I? <laughs> one of my favorite stories in Old Testament, Joseph. I think probably because you can relate to it so well. He was sold out by his brothers. He was put in a pit. He was put in this uh, as a slave working for Potiphar. And then his wife lied about him, you know, putting the moves on her. <laughs> and he didn't. And, and yet he got taken from this Potiphar's place and he got put in a prison. And as he was in the prison, he was serving well. And as he was serving, there was a baker and there was a butler there. And, and he interpreted their dreams. And they said, well, whatever you've said, that's great. Because if I ever get out of here, I'll never forget you. And Joseph says, yeah, don't forget me. Well, the, the butler gets out. He gets to the king and guess what, or to Pharaoh and guess what he does? He forgets about him for 15 years. Right? He just forgets about him. And yet, then one day he goes, oh, yeah, I know a guy who can interpret this dream. His name's Joseph. And so Joseph comes from the prison, and then he goes all the way to the palace. He comes second in line to Pharaoh. And his brothers come, and his fathers come because of the famine in the land. And here's Joseph, and he can lower the boom on his brothers and his dad. And rightfully so. He could have let him starve to death. He could have turned him around and said, we don't give food to outsiders. But the end of the story, Joseph looks at him, he forgives them, and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now think about that perspective in our lives. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Listen, I know there's a lot of people who have been through some tough relationships that you might not even understand that's hurt your life. and you, Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe you've been through a lot of hard trials. Maybe you've been through a lot of things. But I think if we could come out with that same perspective, that same truth and knowledge that Joseph had, that Jesus had, that Paul had, that no matter what happens in this life, we know that God is for us and we know that God will make her right and that we can comfort one another with these words that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. I found out in life, it's not so much what happens to you in life, it's who's with you when that happens in life. And for us as Christians, we know that he will always be there for us. Dr. Brunson, was a, when he came to First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, um, he was preaching and, uh, you know, he seemed to have it all. Um, you know, he was at a prominent church, a prominent preacher. He had everything you could imagine um, at just people who loved him, cared for him. And so he told a story one time before he came to First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, he was at First Baptist Church of Dallas. And uh, same style of church, very prestigious church, very large church, very well-known church. And he said that uh, he was going through a hard time in his life. And he said his wife had breast cancer. And uh, she was going in for surgery. And they were saying they don't know how much they could get or how much was going to work or if she's even going to survive it. His son was also going through a period of time where he wasn't growing. It was some sort of disorder where the, the body just wasn't growing. He was just stopped growing for almost a year and a half. And so he had that weighing on his mind. And he had his wife weighing on his mind. And so he said... He went to the hospital with his wife, and he said it was 5 o'clock in the morning. And so they put her, put her in the room and wheeled her in there. And this is pre-COVID, by the way. Uh, he goes into the little waiting room there. And he said, here's the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas and all this 
recognition that he has and all the people that he knows and a hundred something deacons at his church and all the people. And he said, do you know who was there in the room with him? Not one single person was there. And he said, he got on his knees. He said, oh, Lord, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. He said, we don't even have one person here from our church, one deacon, one person I've helped, one person I've preached your gospel for all these years, and not one person here for me. He says, where are you? And you have forsaken me. And he said, as sure as he was there kneeling before the Lord, the Lord spoke to his heart, and he said, if I'm not here, then who are you talking to? And he said, immediately, he felt the presence of the Lord, and he realized, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't think anybody or anyone is with us or for us or, or there for us, God's there for us. He's with us. And we can comfort ourselves. Paul's saying you could take them, write them down, take it to the bank. It's going to happen. Christ is our salvation. And no matter what we go through, we can take comfort in those words. Whether you live or whether you die, he is there for us all the way. So not only comfort these words, look at the second part, edify one another. That means to build up one another. You know, for us as a church, isn't that a great thing for you to be a brother and sister in Christ that edifies one another? If, if you want an interesting study, go through the Bible and study all the one another scriptures. Um, I got a list of them if you want to do that. Uh, if you could look at all the ones of one another, uh, and he comes down, he says, for you as believers in Christ, edify or build up one another. And for us as Christians, it's great for us to remind ourselves that's our job. That's what we're here for is to build up one another. When you visit someone, did you tear them down or did you build them up? When you see someone at church, do you tear them down or do you build them up? When you see someone at your school or your workplace or on a ball team, do you tear them down or do you build them up? It's a great thing for us to remember to comfort one another, but also that when we leave someone, build them up with those things. Be an encourager, not a discourager. There's enough discouragers in the world today. And listen, especially when you serve the Lord, right? Especially when you're trying to do the right thing. Especially when you're trying to do everything you can for God. You need someone to come along and build you up, to lift you up, to encourage you. And that's why it's so important for us to have a testimony. That's why it's so important for us to testify to the Lord. That's why it's so important for the things that you've been through to be there and walk through with people who's going through the same thing you went through. And for us, it's important for us to take those truths, take those pains, take those hurts, and build up one another. And he says, just as you also are doing. And so as we look to these scriptures here and we think about all these exhortations that he's given, and we need to be reminded, we need to be challenged to encourage that we don't use the coming of the Lord to tear people down. We don't use the coming of the Lord to bring fear in our life. We don't use the coming of the Lord to use it as a doctrine to position ourselves in a place of superiority. We don't use it to, to get our way or manipulate people. Paul's saying this doctrine is a doctrine we can believe in the second coming of Christ. is something that should bring us hope, should bring us comfort, should build us up as we come together and we think about how good God is and what Christ is going to do and that we are on his side. Let me tell you, if you read Revelation, you realize Jesus wins. And if you're with Jesus... You win too, right? That we win because he wins. And for us as Christians, we, we must not get bogged down in the world. We must not get bogged down in our trials and tribulations. We must not get pulled away, out of focus, off, 
off to the sidelines or into the stands and dragged away from the main thing of serving the Lord, trusting in Christ, and living for Him each and every day because it's easy to do. And Paul is just sharing that with them. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to stay on track. 